you can subscribe to these shows. Go to truthjihad.com and click on the Substack button. Welcome back to the second hour of tonight's live broadcast of Truth Jihad Radio. I'm Kevin Barrett. We're Hello. talking about the 20th anniversary of Hello. 9-11 tonight. And this hour, Hello. I'm very lucky to be with three great guests. And so it's going to be a little bit like a whole bunch of people getting into a phone booth to talk. Uh, we, no, we've got three Hello. really important people who are yep. leaders right now in the fight to get the truth out about 9-11, coming from the perspective of family members who lost loved ones on 9-11, and need the truth about what really happened. And the timing is fortuitous since Biden just ordered the Justice Department to release classified 9-11 FBI documents. Of course, that's the good news. The bad news is that that will be uh, supervised by Attorney General Merrick Garland, who was sent to Oklahoma City to cover up that event in the 1990s. So uh, somehow I don't think that's going to solve the problem or answer all the questions. But anyway, it's an interesting piece of news. Uh, so I've, I've got now uh, three great guests. I've got uh, two family members and an author uh, who has written a book about the family members, the author being Ray McGinnis, author of Unanswered Questions, What the September 11th Families Asked and the 9-11 Commission Ignored. And then with us is Bob McElvain, perhaps the most heroically outspoken of the family members who lost his son, Bobby, in the Trade Center and has been doing the hero's journey, a truly uh, courageous fight for justice and truth ever since. And then Joe Krakenfels, who lost his nephew Leonard uh, on 9-11 as well and feels about the same way that, that Bob does about it. So let's see, where should we start? Well, let's start with uh, Bob McIlvain. Welcome, Bob. Good to have you back on the show. Hey, good to hear from you. It was so nice. It's nice to get oh. complimented once in a while. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. Uh, Thank you for you know, that. Thank you for that, Kevin. <laughs> yeah, I noticed the mainstream media just will never give you credit where it's due. Uh, no good deed goes unpunished where they're concerned. And so we've got Joe Krakenfels also. Hey, welcome, Joe. How are you? Yeah, it's good to be back, Kevin. And uh, right at the outset, I'd uh, like to really say something. It's very natural for people like myself or Bob that have uh, lost family members to have a uh, you know a need to know and the pain from nine one one, and that's just a a natural thing that we'd have that type of interest. But I really want to thank people like yourself and Bob McGinnis and every single person in America and really around the world who were watching TV that day and saw seven buildings come off the New York skyline, you know, two in 10 seconds and instantaneously, instantaneously realized that the story was false. And from that point on, they knew something was terribly wrong in this country and it still is today. And they began to take the time and effort to look into it, to research, to, write articles, to write books, uh, to make movies, to make DVDs. And I just want to say thank you to all those people. And you're certainly one of them. Uh, your book, uh, Questioning the War on Terror, I think if it came out tomorrow, you might sell 340 million copies after the way that war wound down in Afghanistan. So my appreciation to all people like, like yourself and all the people who've been fighting for 20 years for the truth. 
Well, thanks, Joe. And, and Ray McGinnis qualifies as uh, somebody who's now picking up the torch and uh, joining the fight for truth and justice. Uh, we, I had him on last month to talk about this book, Unanswered Questions, focusing on the family members. And so, hey, welcome, Ray. Glad to have you back. Well, well it's good to be back. And as one of the people who, who didn't see anything on TV, probably till about 2005, because I started out in Joshua Tree National Park, way off the grid, and no TVs and no radio, and I did, didn't have a TV at home. I just read a lot, <laughs> and so I absorbed everything through radio and uh, newspapers and magazines. But uh, but over time, uh, the story we've been told didn't uh, add up to me, and so I stumbled upon Kristen Breitweiser's book, Wake Up Call, in 2006 or seven, and from there on, uh, began my own journey. Yeah. Okay, well, you know, I'm thinking we could kind of maybe pose a question or a sort of topic and, and hear what each uh, of the three of you have to say about it. Maybe we could start off with this breaking news that Biden, who was afraid of being disinvited to 9-11 events involving family members, has ordered, of all people, Merrick Garland uh, to declassify or at least have a classif- declassification review of FBI 9-11 related documents. The family members group behind that thinks that there is some evidence pointing to the Saudi Arabia uh, and specifically around two alleged hijackers. Um, I'm wondering what you think about that, uh, Bob McElvain. I t- tell you the truth, I don't think anything of it. I spent maybe five seconds looking at it and I turned the page, what are I doing to you? You turn the channel. Uh, it's just, you know, Saudi Arabia, Chris, they might have been involved in it probably are involved in it, but it's still, you know, I, I, I talk now, I just talk empire. They're, you know, who could possibly believe that Saudi Arabia did this on their own? It's just an impossibility. And I, I, I've talked to people who are part of that. And I just said, you know, are you going to take it further than this? Said, oh, yeah, we'll take it further until we get through Saudi Arabia. I said, I'll take another 20 years. So I, I, I just, it's a joke as far as I'm concerned, 100% joke. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. Uh, Joe, what's your take? Pretty similar to Bob. I, I think it's a distraction and a, a waste of time. If we're seriously looking to bring forth truth and justice, uh, it's the seven buildings in New York City that were there one day and were gone the next. And a guy in an Afghanistan cave just can't do that, not with Aladdin's lamp or a flying carpet. And as I said initially, when I first began to speak, two of those buildings were gone in 10 seconds, and they were 110 stories high and 500,000 pounds of very well-constructed steel and concrete. And whatever weapon they used was so powerful. I don't think the world had ever seen a weapon like that. If you've never read her book, Where Did the Towers Go by Dr. Judith Wood, uh, to me, that's the most fantastic book you could read because it's like a college textbook. You just can't look at that and read it and come away. They turned those two buildings initially right to dust. You, you saw it with your own eyes. They just disappeared. Some of the dust went up and some of the dust came down. And she said that one of the testing companies who had tested 7,000 prior dust samples had never seen a dust that fine in their entire working career. Yeah, there was a lot of uh, sub 100 micron sort of talcum powder dust, um, although it wasn't all that fine. But 
in in, in any case, we're we're agreed that uh, whatever happened to those towers, they didn't just fall down from random office fires created by uh, jet fuel plane crashes. Well, Ray McGinnis, you've worked with a bunch, you know, a bunch of family members of differing views, including some of them who are behind this push to declassify FBI documents relating to two of the 19 alleged hijackers. Um, how do you feel about this? Well, you know, I mean, the story, I mean, you know, you've got, you got Saudi Arabia with, um, you know, CIA uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the embassy in Saudi Arabia kind of fast-tracking 15 visas is, you know, uh, one direction to go. But then, you know, as I note in, in, in my book, uh, you know, in the fall of 2001, you've got stories in, in mainstream media, mostly in, in Europe, uh, and sometimes reported in, in the USA that uh, eight of the 19 alleged hijackers were saying, hey, over here in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, or hey, over here in Egypt or Morocco, I'm alive, that's my face, that's my name. So there's a problem with the story about the 19 hijackers. You know, even if you think there were 19, somehow, uh, you know, at least eight of them, they got it wrong. And usually you don't go around with 19 mugshots if you if you know that eight out of 19 are, are dead wrong for sure. So there are problems with that. And the other thing I'd say about it is that all the time when we're re- reading the news, so often, and I find this sometimes myself, I'll just trust that what I'm being told is like, oh, that's a good thing. Like Merrick Garland, that's a good thing. Until I find out uh, sooner or later that maybe it's not such a good thing. It's just like finding out, oh, Lee Hamilton's the co-chair of the 9-11 commission. It's only if you find out, oh, he was involved in Iran-Contra. Oh, he was a best friend of, of Cheney and, and Rumsfeld. Then you start to think, oh, there's more to this, and maybe it's not such good news. Great point. And then the question arises how this gets portrayed in the mainstream media. And it's been suggested that this whole push for declassification of these FBI documents is a kind of limited hangout or a distraction. And the media is giving it plenty of attention. But when the media has to talk about the controlled demolition of the World Trade Center, when, for instance, Spike Lee devotes 30 minutes of his 9-11 documentary, his eight-hour documentary, to that topic, then all hell breaks loose and the media basically lynches Spike Lee by way of Richard Gage. Um, so that that leads to the question of why is the media uh, covering 9-11 this way? And, you know, Bob McElvain, you, you just were, uh, I think, severely mistreated in an otherwise sort of pseudo-sympathetic story about your family in the Atlantic. Um, but rather than facing the fact that what you're doing is just insanely heroic, uh, the author of the article, uh, let's see, what was her name? Jennifer, Jennifer Sr. apparently had not really done any research at all on the issue of controlled demolition and related topics. So she just sort of portrayed you as, as obsessed with something that, you know, was probably, you're you know, probably just some kind of crank or something, which really annoyed me. And why is the media, the big media, so bad on this topic? What do you think, Bob? I, well, but first of all, Jennifer, I, the fact that she put in what I wanted to put in there, now she's, she's an old family member, okay, not a family friend, and she wanted, I mean, it really, she wanted a family story. You know, with Bob's ex, uh, his uh, fiance, Helen, Jeff, and 
I I really didn't think I was going to get anything in here. And she doesn't believe my story. The, the I talked to the editors of Atlantic, and and they they wanted to put in what I just put in the fact that I could say that the United States was involved in the destruction of the towers or 9-11. So I was happy about that. I really was. Hello? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It, overall, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't the worst 9-11 story I've seen by any means, but it was frustrating to me. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I, I'm not the least bit upset. The fact that she put out now Spike Lee, I, uh, you know, when I spoke to Spike Lee, I, I was not part of architecture and engineer, so I, I spent an hour and a half with Spike Lee. Plus, my wife and son came up the following week to spend another hour with them. So that I might be still in it. Because, but when I spoke at Spike, I said, look, I don't want to talk about 9-11. Not at all. Because I'm sick and tired of talking about it. You know, it's, and that's where I told him, I said, you know, we have to think about history when we talk about 9-11. And think of the United States as empire or the Western world as empire. And this is what they do. This empire has been doing this for centuries upon centuries, thousands of years. And to doubt that they wouldn't do something like that is sort of ludicrous. And that's, I, I hate, I, I, I won't get involved in the specifics, uh, specifics of 9-11. Like the fact that she put that in uh, the Atlantic, it, it just did get my name out there. And I did do an interview with Spike Lee. So I'm hoping he comes out. And I'd rather people realize that this is what empires do. I mean, we can, can we actually say maybe this country is evil, like all other empires become at the end of their, their reign, which I think is coming anyway. So I think it makes it a lot easier for people to say, yeah, of course they could do something like this. I mean, the millions of people have died in the Congo from 1990 on. And millions of people around the world. And why are they dying? It's just because of natural resources around the world. And, and we're the leader of that empire that takes these natural resources anytime we want. So that's a simple matter. 3,000 people, that's absolutely nothing. To blow up a couple of buildings? So, you know, I, I, you know, people shouldn't have any doubt. You know, why should we... Think about what the FBI does. The media, they're, they're whores. They're told what to do. And I love telling the story. You know, it must have been 10 years ago. The Daily News, which was a local paper of Philadelphia, we had Philadelphia Inquiry and the Daily News, and they wanted to do an article on you know, on me. And I wasn't, you know, I was talking about the 9-11 Commission then. I was talking about other things. And the Inquiry wouldn't allow her to print it, and the girl from the uh, Daily News actually called me. And this is, you know, I'll never forget this quote. She said the Pentagon came to the Daily News and told her not to print that. So the the the, 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 the news is useless. You know, there's nothing but puppets of the empire, and that's the way people have to look at it. You know, so you know, I don't expect anything out of it. So as far as like Jennifer, I mean, I think she did a great job in the article, and the fact that she put that in there—that's the first person that ever put it in. The editors put it in, where I'm criticizing the government like that. So you know, I was happy with that, but. The media itself is, you know, they're nothing but horrors as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Can't argue with that. Uh, Joe, Joe, any comments on the, the way the media handles this? And, and we're going to be bombarded with and just buried under all kinds of 9-11 official story propaganda uh, in about a week from now. So <laughs> how do you feel about well, the uh, onslaught? It, it's the story of 9-11 is the most protected lie and crime in American history. And the reason it is, is because the criminals are still out there and they've left their fingerprints and footprints a few years prior to 9-11 when they all met in New York City over coffee and donuts at the project for the New American Century. And what are they doing there? 
They're redrawing maps of the Middle East with new countries. They're going to knock out all the, the leaders and put in American puppets. So they want to take out seven countries in five years. Where, where's the morality in that? Where's, where's the just war? You know, people tell me they're, they're fighting for my freedom. And then the one participant says, well, this is going to happen slow unless we have a large catalyzing event like a new Pearl Harbor. Well, voila, by a big coincidence, that's what we get two years later. So, you know, it's, it's unbelievable that, you know, Bob is right. Uh, they don't think that 3,000 lives mean anything to achieve their objectives and the destruction they did in the Middle East and the, the chaos and the, and, and the deaths there and the fallout. It's just unbelievable. It's, it, everything's backfiring. And you saw how the end of Afghanistan was such an ignominious mess. It's, it's so unimaginable how we left all the weaponry behind and how we botched it. And just the way our government behaves in general, the, the border shutting down the, the gas pipeline, uh, locking down states, uh, you almost wonder who the government is. Is it a Trojan horse or a fifth column? Uh, I've never seen the country in such chaos. And I've never seen such anger, especially among the veterans. I, I've been watching the news intently and listening to the stories of the families who lost their loved ones. And my condolences go out to them uh, I'm, I'm no fan of these wars, uh, but I, I carry an American passport and I support the rank and file troops. I don't support the generals and the politicians who pimp these wars on face the nation and need the press. I, I agree with Bob. Uh, there's a, a lot of evil within this country, not just the world. And we, we have leaders that are just very abysmal characters. We've got a crisis of character in our leadership. Well, you, you mentioned things kind of falling apart and the war effort obviously was grossly unsuccessful. And now Philip Zelikow, you know, the creator and maintainer of public myths uh, and his media colleagues are not doing a very good job of herding everybody together to kind of believe in the same myth so they can get things done, which is how they see their job. And again, so the media's role has been to try to create some kind of consensus reality and they've really failed around 9-11 and then many other things as well. And so, Ray McGinnis, you didn't really question the media's take on 9-11 for a while. And then you did. And you ended up writing a book. Uh, so you're you're a journalist, too. You're in the, that media industry, in a sense. What are your feelings about the way big media uh, has misrepresented 9-11? Well, I'm I'm. Uh... <laughs> I've been a, a teacher of, of, of uh, journal writing, memoir, and poetry workshops, but but in, in terms of the, the media, I mean, like I mean, in Canada, here, here I am in Vancouver, and I've talked to a couple of people who I know in the mainstream uh, media and asked if they know anyone who'd like to do a book review or an interview with me. And uh, one person who had reviewed a former book I wrote about uh, the Psalms and poetry and journal writing said that they felt it was too big a risk to review my little book. And they could also not think of a single person after four decades of being a journalist in Canada who they thought would be willing to review my book or interview me about my book. So it's really interesting that the big silence up here in Canada in terms of the mainstream media around a book that I'm writing about the families, even though I showcase, you know, I've got Bob there, 
I've got, you know, people like Chris Joya. I've got Lori Van Ock. I mean, all the people on the family steering committee, you know, including Carrie Lemack and Mary Fetcher, Deborah Burlingame. I mean, a whole bunch of different people with a bunch of different points of view. And I certainly give, I mean, when I write about, you know, what Bob has to say, I don't editorialize around it and say, something to to uh dismiss what he's saying i let bob's statements just be there for the reader to think about but apparently that what i've written is too much for a lot of people in the media to handle although i will say that in the alternative media i have had 10 interviews including this is the second with you and i've got another 15 coming up in the alternate media across the usa so there is some you know but i think that like i thought about what you know all of this story and i thought like like Hannah Arendt, who is a 20th century political theoretician, and she wrote that political leaders, quote, are determined to commit crimes, find it expedient to organize them on, on the most improbable scale because the very immensity of the crimes guarantees that the murderers who proclaim their innocence with all manner of lies will be more readily believed than the victims who tell the truth. And that's sort of what we're up against. Hey, Kevin, uh, can I make a comment on that? Sure. When I hear a politician or someone in the media begin a sentence, when we were attacked on 911, that is your wolf in sheep's clothing. That person is either the wolf in sheep's clothing or just woefully ignorant. That just grates me because people cannot be this dumb 20 years later to, to believe any, any speck of that story. It's a ridiculous story that the media and government handed the American people. It's just totally unreal that, you know, a guy in a cave in Afghanistan did all this. Please wake up, people. Yeah. Well, so, so Bob, we're living in an empire and it does what empires have always done. It lies and it, it, it kills and it tries to expand and it tries to get everybody on the same page. Uh, and 9-11 seems to have been an effort to really take us past Vietnam syndrome where people didn't really want to send their kids off to die for the empire in some far off foreign land. And it was supposed to brainwash into thinking that we had this evil new enemy that really had to be confronted in the harshest possible way, get everybody exactly on the same page. And everybody was waving that flag. It seemed like 90% of the population was waving the flag and giving Bush high approval ratings for at least a week or two. But looking at what's happened since, I really question whether 9-11 really succeeded in trying to keep another you know, 100 years of American empire as the project for a new American century would imply. And it seems to me it may be hastening the empire's demise. And with this collapse in Afghanistan and all of the, the red versus blue chaos and the uh, various kinds of political chaos within the country and now economic chaos around COVID and things like that, it seems to me that 9-11 was a disaster. It provoked a lot of the distrust of all kinds of authority, including medical and scientific authority that is supposedly plaguing us today. So, I mean, to me, they just totally shot themselves in the foot. Uh, Bob, what, what are your thoughts about, about the empire doing what empires do, but in this case, doing it incredibly uh, stupidly as well as, as, as evilly? Well, I, I'd like to go back to, has anyone in this group read The Gold Warriors? Oh yeah, I, I saw, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't read it, but uh, I've talked now, about it. Now, I, I will base everything about 9/11 on that book, and that has nothing to do with 9/11. It's about the gold stolen from or taken from the uh, Japanese after World War II. 
and I don't want to go into a long story about it, but you know, we're talking some people who say maybe 280,000 tons of gold. Now that's a mind-boggling amount of gold. I don't know exactly how much, but when that Nixon went off the gold standard back in '70, I think uh, we had like 8,200 tons of gold. So we're talking massive, a massive and gold at that time when they, after the World War II, is going like maybe $35 an, an ounce. Now I think I'm not positive what it's going now, but it's probably I think what around fifteen hundred dollars per ounce. So we're talking an incredible wealth. Well, the story has nothing to do with the gold warriors, but the thing is, the United States uses for covert operations. They've been using the CIA's been using it forever. It's free money, and they they took it from the Philippines because the Japanese couldn't take because of the blockade. They couldn't take it, their gold back, and this is gold from China and Korea. And it's, you know, it's gold they've stolen for years and years and years. Like Germany, when they stole uh, the gold from the Jews, they had to return it. So, you know, most of it was returned. But the United States decided, well, we're not going to return this. So they put it in the banks of uh, Zurich Airport under the Zurich Airport, the banks there, you know, all over the world. And they can use this anytime they need money because Congress, you know, they don't have to go through Congress. And, of course, there's been nothing but covert operations uh, with the CIA since its inception. So this gold they used to bankrupt Russia in the early 90s. And with that, of course, we had the end of the, supposedly had the end of the Cold War. Well, a lot of this information was coming out, and supposedly in the late 90s, of course, 98, 96, around that time, suddenly we had the, uh, the evil Osama bin Laden. Well, I think they were planning this because they, they had to destroy the information about this because the, the securities they used, $240 billion worth of securities to help bankrupt the, uh, Russia at that time. And, of course, that's supposedly the end of Russia, the, the empire. And uh, the securities were due on September 12th of 2001. So, I, again, I don't want to keep going on on this, but I just think that this is the reason, and of course, this information, Office of Naval Intelligence, this is uh, one of the places that was investigating this. There's a lot of investigations going on at that time. Because to me, the big, biggest joke about 9-11, it's not a joke, obviously, the fact that some asshole could fly a, a, a plane into the Pentagon was just ludicrous. Yet people still believe that. Well, they had to destroy the office. I and mean, of course, what did he do? It's a 270 uh, degree turn flying over the, uh, uh, the White House not going into the center of the Pentagon and coming into a, a place where they're just doing renovations. And, uh, and this is the reason they had to destroy that because the, all this information was coming out. So this is, I think, the real reason for 9-11. And of course, the information from, you know, the different buildings were a big part of this at, at the at Trade Center. So that's I, a good point, Bob. Uh, yeah. What's that? I said, that's a good point. I, I've heard that. Uh, gold that they captured from the Japanese is in today's currency worth about $17 trillion. And that's their, yeah. their bankroll oh, for the, all the clandestine projects. And a great book about the, the money side you're talking about is Black 911 Money Motive and Technology by oh, Mark yeah. Gaffney, because he, uh, he just spills it all out. And uh, earlier this week, I happened to see uh, Eric Prince, the soldier and the mercenary on TV, and he really made some interesting comments. He was saying that uh, once we went off the gold and silver standard, 
guess what backs up American money? Well, it's F-16s and M-16s. So when we get our butts kicked in war, uh, it's a huge setback. And if the dollar one day should not be the international currency, that's going to send shockwaves into our into our lives. And, you know, people always tell me, and it kind of ruffles my feathers that they're fighting for my freedom. But uh, I think Prince hit the nail on the head right there. They're actually fighting for my lifestyle. And if my lifestyle depends on arbitrarily invading countries in the Middle East and causing death and destruction, hey, you can have one of my TVs, one of the cars out of the garage, and that's just the beginning of it when you actually think of the people that are being killed. I mean, my sister, she would have given you everything she owned and the shirt off her back. There's nothing I own that's worth the lives of the 13 U.S. servicemen that just died or my nephew or Bob's son. So maybe Americans need to to pull back if that's what's propping up our lifestyles. Yeah. Well, Bob, uh, I'm... I haven't read Gold Warriors. I really do need to read it, but I've I've interviewed people about it and read summaries and so on. And one thing I wonder about is if they had that much gold, why did they have to go off the gold standard in 1973? These people have now, you know, it, I think it's just uh, the big game that rich are playing. You know, they don't care if they leave Afghanistan, they'll find another place. They'll go back to Venezuela, take care of Venezuela. You know, they, it's the, the military is a money machine. You know, Eisenhower told us the military industrial complex, but now it's a military industrial media complex. And they're all making big bucks. And they just, it's a big game, I think. You know, they don't care how many people die, but they COVID's not hurting any of all the rich. They're making billions of every every year. So they keep making these wars. So they leave Afghanistan. No big deal. I don't know why anyone calls it a war. It was, there, it was an occupation from the very beginning. It wasn't a war. And, uh, you know, and I feel sad for the soldiers and all, but, uh, you know, they keep perpetuating this, that we did something good in Afghanistan. No, we just killed people, that's all, and made a lot of money. And that's, you know... So that's, you know, when I when I t- talk about 9-11, I'm not a re- big authority on it, but the Gold Warriors, and again, it has nothing to do with 9-11, but explains in something, what, Joe, you just said, what, $17 trillion or something? It's just mind-boggling how much money mm-hmm. is out there. And they use this. That's what they use for wars, and they're going to continue their wars. And tip, someone steps to the front and says, this is evil. You know, I have no problem calling this empire evil. This is what empires do, and they become evil. And we're right up there with all the evil empires that we've ever seen. So, you know, that's that's what so I want to talk about. You know. Yeah. Well, Ray McGinnis, you you interviewed various family members and, and looked at what they've done. And would you say that there is a consensus around a lot a lot of the family members that against the wars and and the you know imperial aggression that came out of nine eleven. Certainly, there were, I mean, many voices of of people uh, who, who you know, I mean, like Bob involved in Peaceful Tomorrows, and, you know, there are people that went over to Afghanistan to meet with people who lost uh, family members in Afghanistan and saying that, you know, going to war to solve whatever the president's alleged perpetrator did, you know, I mean, it's just crazy to, uh, 
you know, to, to on the face of it, if you have someone who, you know, of course it's not uh, true, but, but if you have someone who's alleged to have committed this crime, Osama bin Laden, uh, he's an individual, he's not a nation. So, you know, deal with the police and intelligence operation, have a tribunal in the Hague or whatever, if you provide evidence. But of course, you know, the, uh, the president Bush said, there's no need to discuss innocence or guilt. We know he's guilty and off they went to war. So, I think that, you know, it, you know, it's, as Bob was saying, it's important. History is important. And I'm hoping that my book, you know, for some people who haven't been following the bouncing ball like, like the rest of you on this show today, uh, who, who are just waking up that there might be something to discuss, which is incredible. But that's the case as I meet people uh, that maybe they can look at the fact, the historical fact that there was. Uh, an effort by families to form the Family Steering Committee and many others who were there in the public hearings watching and monitoring the 9-11 Commission, asking hundreds of questions, only 9% which were answered, and that this is something for people to reflect on. You know, what is the pattern of, of like, you know, the rush to war, all kinds of things that happen? If we don't notice the patterns, then uh, in the future, we're, we're going to be, again, thrown off and off to war again. So how can we start to notice uh, the way things get ramped up and, and then we get uh, hijacked and we're, you know, in the back seat with someone else driving the bus off to war again. Yeah, indeed. And, and so, Bob, uh, you've done a lot of public speaking around this. Uh, what kinds of reception do you get and where, you know, I don't, I don't recall, I haven't seen you speak a whole lot, but I, I know you've done a tremendous amount of public speaking, including, I think, internationally. Can you tell us a little bit about how, how people respond to these ideas? Well, uh, yeah, why I spoke a lot about is what, because I joined Peaceful Tomorrow. Peaceful Tomorrow was started immediately after 9-11. And I diddly what happened on 9-11, you know, I just, but I, I just did not believe the war. So I met with uh, some of the people that started Peaceful Tomorrow and I spoke around the world. I mean, I've, I've been down to Colombia. I spoke at uh, Bogota, which was a very harrowing experience. Uh, which, I don't know who to, I forget the president's name, but anyway, he, they invited me down there to speak. And it was a conference on terrorism. So I met people from Chetnia. I met people from uh, all around the world. I met a general from Argentina. And he actually told me about how they would dump people out of a plane. Of course, he felt horrible about it, but you know, he was only a private at that time or whatever chain of command is down there. But uh, so the people that I met in central, you know, down in Bogota is just mind boggling. I've been to Japan. Uh, I spoke there, or we did a stone walk at Ash Peaceful Tomorrow's from uh, Nagasaki to Hiroshima. Again, speaking of war, the idiocy of war. I, you know, the I walked with the Hibaka shop. People survived the, uh, Nagasaki and or specifically Hiroshima. And because we, we started halfway up and then we went to Hiroshima, we were there for the anniversary, the 60th anniversary. And I'd been to Italy. I you know, went to, uh, I forget the movie already, geez. but I, you know, a movie premiere, I was in a movie at, about 9-11 Truth. So you know, I got a chance to speak there. So I mostly did it about Peaceful Tomorrows. So my final thing, and that's why I was able to speak a lot. Now, people don't want to talk to me that much, you know, mainstream media, because I'll just talk about who did 9-11. But I, I, you know, I, I wasn't trying to select. But anyway, it's 
So I dropped it. It was, I was right. It's the uh, 9-11 commission hearings. I think it was uh, one, I forget. Oh, when uh, Condoleezza Rice spoke August 6th. I think it was 2005. And I was just so pissed off. I was, uh, yeah, I was really pissed off about the commission. I actually went to the commission to really get some information. I was hoping we would get some information. And it was the biggest joke you've ever seen in your life. And Condoleezza Rice, she was filibustering, talking about her August 6th memo. memo. And I, I just, I finally just got up and I said, fuck this. And I walked away and I was, I was just so upset. And it's when I suddenly, a uh, Canadian broadcasting company came up to me and interviewed me and I just told them how I felt. I was, and from that day on, I said, the heck with this. I can't be peaceful anymore. So then I just started, I'm going to talk about 9-11, but Peaceful Tomorrow's, it was, it's a great outfit. We were talking about peace. Everybody, you know, I was talking, as I say, around the world. But, you know, a lot of good that's did. We're still in we're at war. So now that I talk a lot about 9-11, you know, I don't get those big invitations, you know, just within the group of 9-11 advocates, you know, that want the, tr- the truth about it. That's why the, you know, I was telling you about the Atlantic, the fact that she put that in there in a major magazine, you know, that I, I was happy. The fact that they put a, a sentence in there about what I said about 9-11, I was ecstatic. And the fact both editors, I talked to them, the assistant and uh, uh, the regular, the, uh, the the two editors, assistant and the editor, they said, of course, we're going to put it in. We don't believe what you said, but we're going to put it in. So I thought, oh, that's good. That's a step forward. The fact that I get something from that from a major magazine. So my, most of my public speaking was about peaceful tomorrows and against war. But since then, since Condoleezza Rice, I just said, screw this. This is ridiculous. You know, I'll just go out on my own. I'm still part of kind of uh, peaceful tomorrow's and the fact that I know what they're doing. They always email me and so forth and so on. But I just, and it was a wonderful experience. And the march is up and you know, we led the march up in New York city, 250,000 people. We led a march down in Washington, DC, 250,000 people. I remember people were on the march. They would come to me and spit in my face, you know, try to uh, aggravate you. you know? So it, it's, it really is bad news out there. And one thing about the, uh, I want to say about the, uh, the war movement, I remember getting involved in that. I went up to the, they had a big meeting up in uh, New York City and uh, about going into the Iraq war and, and, and the peace movement would be against it. And I said, what about Afghanistan? Why is this peace movement, you know, for Afghanistan? And they said, well, you know, we're sort of for this war because of 9-11, what happened? And I said, and I just said, you got to be effing kidding me. And I walked out, I said, you know, so here the war movement started with Iraq, but they let they thought Afghanistan was okay. And they're probably still saying the same thing. So it's absurd. But yet again, most of my speaking though was with peaceful tomorrows. And Joe, what's been your response when you know when you've uh, mentioned this to people or discussed this with people? Uh had or you know, how to what extent have you done that and, and how what kind of response have you gotten? I've done it more on a person-to-person basis, and if you go back in time, we're we're 20 years downriver now. So uh, early on, you know, the CIA coined the term conspiracy theorist, and that was designed to ridicule, mock, disparage anybody speaking the truth or seeking the truth. So uh, early on, I think people just didn't want to believe any of this, and perhaps to this very day, they feel that way, that the truth is really so ugly. I think when I was on your show 15 or 16 years ago, when you're telling the truth about this to the average American, you've got one hand on John Wayne's neck and the other on Shirley Temple. It's a, it's a horrible, ugly truth. And 
another thing I'd like to say about that too, uh, when I would refer books and things like that to read and to research, we've had such censorship in this country today that things I could easily find, you know, in 2005 or six, when I went to find them myself after I told people to, to go look for them, it was like looking for a needle in a haystack. So an author like Mr. McGinnis, 10 or 20 years from now, they may have cleaned, they may clean everything right out of the record books. Uh, that the censorship in this country is off the charts. And of course, the internet censorship is right now the cutting edge of it. Um, books, yeah, every now and then the CIA buys up all the copies of books and suddenly they, they cost you know $1,000 a copy and stuff. That's pretty rare though. Uh, but with with the internet, we went just in a few years from you know, 2015, 2016, when it was still assumed everywhere uh, in Silicon Valley, in the government, in the courts, it was assumed that the Communications uh, Decency uh, Act, uh, that provision that allows Internet providers to ha to be exempt from any kind of lawsuits based on the content that they host, if they're platforms rather than publishers. So it was assumed right up until about four or five years ago that that meant that if you want to be a platform and be exempt from lawsuits, which is the only way you could possibly do it if you have a big operation, you have to be content neutral. You cannot favor any viewpoint, any legal constitutionally protected speech over any other legal constitutionally protected speech. If you write algorithms to promote content, they have to be content neutral. They have to promote um, a 9-11 truth advocate just as much as they promote the official story. And that's how it was. And that's why Loose Change could get 100 million viral views almost overnight way back when it first came out. It was like 2007 or something. But now, suddenly, 2016-ish, 2017, everything changed. And the command came down from on high that from now on, the Internet has to be censored. And the Communications Decency Act doesn't mean what everybody always knew it meant. And from now on, all of these social media companies have to write algorithms to crush the truth and to promote the official story about everything. And then lo and behold, along comes COVID. So now the people promoting um, the other side of the story are guilty of medical misinformation that could kill untold numbers of people. <laughs> so we're, we're facing this avalanche of censorship and I'm like getting deplatformed here and popping up there and fighting YouTube strikes here and then changing my false flag weekly news show so we don't talk about anything medical for the first 15 minutes and that part doesn't go to YouTube. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's crazy these days. And you know, the next thing you know, the kind of discussion we're having about 9-11 is going to get banned and deplatformed and erased and, and so on. And uh, to me, the one, one promising thing after 9-11 was that we were able to speak freely about this on the Internet and get the word out to a lot of people. And, and now it's it's getting a lot harder. And, and Ray McGinnis, you've actually kind of joined this thing at, at the point when you're just in time to face this uh, new, totally censored Internet environment. Um, what, what are your thoughts on that and how we can change that and get back to a, a free Internet? Oh, well, I can tell you firsthand that, you know, as I would be, you know, uh, writing the book and I'd go and see something online. I'd see an article, Chicago Tribune, what, you know, Boston Globe. And then I'd think, oh, I, 
you know, four months later, I think I need to refer to that again. I go and fi- I go try and find it. I have written down the, the reporter, the, the headline, the date. I can't find that article anymore. I go looking at Paul Thompson's, uh, you know, terror timeline with his website online, and I'd be going through articles I want to reference, and I, I click them. It's nowhere there. And, uh, you know, even the uh, Family Steering Committee's website, which is thankfully back up online more recently, but while I was looking at all the questions and going through the final, you know, hoops to get the book to, to, the, to the editing stage, uh, I think from last uh, July until uh, early March of this year, uh, the website was jimmied somehow. Uh, suddenly now uh, you could have like the questions they asked of George W. Bush, but if you clicked read more, you'd get to um, error 404 or page not found with all of them. Uh, and also you said they'd have like a, is there a new article? The only article that they had that was brand new for about eight months said, hello world with an exclamation mark and then nothing, no text at all. And I mean, at the point that I was finishing my book, I thought, well, maybe that's what's going to happen to that website. But now it's, it's working again. But this is what happens in the digital world. We don't know, you know, in two years or six months, if the story that we think is great or the, or the, or the C-SPAN um, interview with somebody or, or YouTube will be there in, in three weeks or three years. So uh, that partly drove me to keep on working on the book to say, it, well, at least people can physically pick up my book, hopefully in 10 or 20 or 30 years and see that at least <laughs> at one point, these people said these things. <laughs> it's kind of sad. It has to reach that point. Uh, well, uh, Bob McElvain, according to the Atlantic uh, article, you are, it said you were thinking about kind of cutting back or sort of retiring from 9-11 activism and public speaking. Is, is that true? Yeah, I, it's, it's getting me. My house getting bad. I just, uh, after 20, I, yeah, it's just, well, you know, I have four grandkids now. And I just love going down there. And to go into that world, it just, I can forget everything. And I, you know, we got an apartment down in Jersey now. So I'm, I'm in, up in Pennsylvania. And no one knows me. I can just, I can, you know, I can talk about the Sixers or the Phillies, you know, and it's, it's so nice, you know, and uh, if, and I've been doing so much with the 20th anniversary that it's, it's really getting me down. And uh, I don't know if, you know, I'll never give it up, but nothing's going to happen after 20 years. You know what I mean? So I, uh, I'm just trying I mean, to I actually do it. I know what you mean, but I can only imagine how it's been for you with that personal connection that you have. Oh, it's all right. It's just, you know, you know, I hate to say I hate, but I, I really hate this country. You know, I, I do. I mean, I, but then I have my grandkids and everything's perfect. You know, you're, you're with a five or six year old, you know, they don't care. I mean, they're just perfect. They're perfect human beings. You know, they have a dog, you know, you can't beat a dog. It's just a, uh, it's such a great situation. I have a coffee house I go to, and I don't know. It's just—it's such a nice relief to walk away from this. But of course, I've been—you know—I've been doing this for 20 years. You know, not just question it, but you know, with the people working with Pizza Tomorrow is probably the best experience I had. You know, meeting all those people in Japan, meeting people in Colombia, meeting people in Italy, meeting—it was—it was phenomenal. But then, as I said, after Condoleezza Rice, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was so, so pissed off, you know, the country sold itself down the drain and, you know, I, I just don't know where it's going to go anymore, especially after 20 years. 
is you know getting back to the landing thing. The fact that they actually put something like that in there it was great. The mainstream media put it in there. You know that I questioned the nine eleven story, but you know this. Yeah, they, they, that should have been a oh, headline that, from. For, you you should have been getting headlines for this from from fifteen years well, ago. It, but, oh yeah, but that, you know that's it's not to be. And yeah. it's just it's frustrating. I I just don't want to kill myself with her. I don't know. If, you know, I might be dead another couple of years anyway. But you know, I just I really have to try to hang in there. But uh, I just I don't know. I like well, maybe I just take a couple months off. But I just don't know what's going to happen after twenty years. This might just die out. You know what I mean? I, well, I just don't know where it's going. Yeah. Well, you know, Ray, Ray was talking I, about how, how we're worrying about history and how you know down the line will will people know what what people like us have been doing well let me yeah. let me say yeah go ahead i'll just i'll just add in that um you know some like one of the when I, one of the people a couple times while i was writing this and telling people i was writing this book and there'd be people who were just incredulous and they would say to me questions questions what questions how could the families have questions and they would think that the idea that the families even had questions was itself a conspiracy theory, in quote. And I would just say, okay. In some ways, I felt it was getting uh, not better, but but more difficult because people have had now two decades of, of this uh, uh, propaganda around conspiracy theory. But one thing I will say that my book is doing, and it may be like, like a, a faint hope, but I'm put, I've got people who are in the more, I'll call, medium to liberal churches, um, who um, at least a half a dozen of them, two American and four Canadian, who've worked with me to create a study guide for my book. And we're hoping that there might be a half a dozen or a hundred or more churches that will try and take my book and do an eight-session study sometime, you know, next Lent or whatever, and try and really get to know this story. Because there's a lot of people who don't know this story because they trust the media that they follow and it's never been brought up incredibly. So I'm hoping that we can push out in some new directions and get some new people having this conversation. Well, that, yeah, I, I, I would love to try to get more new people on board too. It's, it's tough though. Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to figure out how to talk about this in a way that, people who aren't aware of it yet are, are going to uh, be attracted to it and be willing to actually look at it with an open mind. Uh, well, uh, how, how about the, the next, uh, uh, what are each of you doing for, for the anniversary? I'm going to be in San Francisco uh, speaking at the film festival. Um, Bob, do you have anything lined up? Yeah, well, we were going to go down to Cape May and uh, Bobby was in a, we go down to Cape. We have a house down in Cape May now. But Bobby was in a hotel the weekend before 9/11, and uh, we were all down there. So we were going to go down there and just there's a picture of fact of Bobby in this, this uh, motel right on the beach. We were going to go down there, but young Bobby, by his son's uh, oldest son, he's speaking. So we're going up there and we're going to watch that. I'm not. We're going to watch it on TV up the Manhattan Club. We have a, a room up there, and that's what we're going to do. So we have to. Definitely have to see him. You know, he's, he's reading names. He's a 12-year-old. So that would be, that'd be wow. great seeing him do that. And, and what's so he doing that for? Uh, for what, which event? Oh, for, uh, for reading the names on 9-11. Up at ah, okay. Zero. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. Okay. 
And, so and Joe, do you, do you have anything coming up? Uh, I'm not sure, uh, but I am a, a vaccine-hesitant American. So if I did go to New York City, I'd have to uh, eat outside. And I love tennis, but I can't go to the U.S. Open. Uh, so I'm not sure what I'll do this year. I, I may go up north. Yeah, I, I can relate to that. I moved to San Francisco where they uh, they won't let me in any restaurants or theaters. <laughs> <laughs> I don't show the papers, please. Uh, and, and Ray, uh, how, how about you? Are you doing anything for the anniversary is coming up? Well, in this uh, in, in these pandemic times, you know, uh, uh, in-person book talks and book launches are, are difficult. So, but I am having a virtual book uh, talk and question and answer period for a couple hours through uh, Busboys and Poets Bookstore in uh, the Washington D.C. suburb of Tacoma Park. And there will be there is a link for people who will. I guess be watching uh, by Zoom, uh, and uh, so uh, that'll be. You know, I, I'm going to be doing that for a couple hours, and I'm also, I think, going to be. Uh, I think for up to three hours later that night. Uh, I think Richard Hogland has uh, the other side of midnight um, show. I think it's in Louisiana, and uh, Barbara Honiger will be on that show with me. So oh, that sounds great. Yeah, I've been on that show. It's a good show. Okay, so that's uh, that's going to be uh, coming up soon. So next, yeah, next week there's the film festival in Oakland, California, on September 9th. There's the release of Dylan Avery's new film, Unspeakable. Uh, this is sponsored by Architects and Engineers on September 10th, and then the Lawyers Committee for 9/11 Inquiry is doing its live stream on September 11th. So that's uh, that's the 20th anniversary, and all of us who've been committed to trying to get to the truth and get some justice on this issue are still still at it we we haven't gone away and even if we haven't gotten our message out there i I don't think people believe the authorities as much as they did 20 years ago people know about the term false flag and what it means now so i think we're we're making some incremental progress and the empire may be on its last legs and that might be a good thing so let's uh, try to look on the bright side. Anyway, thank you so much, uh, Bob McElvain, Joe Krakenfels, and Ray McGinnis. It's been good talking to you. God bless all of you for your great work on this. Yeah, I can. Thank, thank you, thank you so much. Thanks, Kevin. Great. Okay. Take care. Okay. This is Truth Jihad Radio, the live special edition. I'm Kevin Barrett. The website is truthjihad.com. You can also, of course, uh, go to revolution.radio and get into all the archives and support this great free speech network. You can support my struggle for truth at truthjihad.com. Thanks for listening. God bless. See you next time.
to be in someone else's shoes. Do you ever, do you ever, do you ever, ever wonder? Oh, do you like to be with no Beyond yourself, beyond yourself, sometimes, sometimes.